0: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen, wherever you are in the world. Welcome back to The Caring Economy with me, Toby Usnick. Today, my guest is Roy Field Brown. He is nothing short of a podcaster extraordinaire, someone who I can learn from, others have learned from, and we'll go through some of the celebrated uh, brands and people that he's worked with. He's also got a book that's going to be coming out this year called How Jamaica Conquered the World, and we're going to talk about that. So, with no further ado, welcome to The Caring Economy, Royfield Brown.
1: Uh, thank you for having me.
0: So, Royfield, I always ask my guests, you're in London today, right?
1: Birmingham, actually. Birmingham. So, I'm born, <laughs> born in Birmingham. Got it. So,
0: you're in the UK today. Uh, I'm in New York. I always ask my guests at the beginning to tell us a little bit about their journey in two or three minutes, about how they got, where they got. And in particular, interest to my listeners and me, is sort of the bumps in the road where one might have turned left and you went right. And um, maybe some helpers or mentors along the way. So give us an overview. Please.
1: So, my parents came to England in the early 1960s. My father was a bus driver. The majority of his adult life is now retired. My mother worked for the council. She's kind of like middle management. And the more I realize is that they came to this country so I could fulfill their dream. Mm-hmm. Um, um Britain doesn't have a dream like the American dream mm-hmm. um if you're British you're just british but if if there was such a manifesto, my parents actually lived it. They came as immigrants as teenagers, they came to what was then the mother country because Jamaica was still part of the British Empire, and they came for a better life and they've they've had a family and Done fundamentally blue collar jobs, as my father did, and been able to bring me up and my brother, and they can now retire and they own three properties, and they've done well. So that's a key part of my story. I'm British, English, Jamaican, mm-hmm. black, I'm a Brummie, and I love the fact that I can wear these multiplicity of hats because i'm very connected to the world and even though I'm, I'm very proud of the fact that i'm from birmingham i'm a brummie i always wanted to be part i always wanted to be a global citizen and my parents really gave me that um notion that i was connected to something whether it was my blackness which goes back uh, to the island of jamaica and then to africa but they always said you you're English. This is your country. Mm-hmm. Um, you've, you've inherited it. Um, you know. So then I'm European as well. Uh, it just goes on and on and on. And my parents really gave this real sense of identity, and that's kind of led me in many ways to champion people whose voices are marginalised. My father always said, um, "I vote Labour, son, because it's the uh, party for the working person." Mm-hmm. But he also said you can never really judge somebody unless you walk in their shoes my father is not a political theorist or whatever you know but that has always stayed with me and i know that i'm very lucky to have the parents and the stable upbringing that i had but many people don't and and as a lover of history um the history that i was taught at school was always anglo european history and mm. i loved it i devoured it mm. but i come from a people who historically we've we have been marginalized we've been forgotten our history isn't one of conquest you know it's the victors that right history and um so i see it as kind of my one of my roles is to 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 help facilitate Those communities, those peoples who um, haven't been sat at the dining room of um, influence Mm -hmm. that we're not forgotten. So -hmm. it's not by accident that the first thing that I did was how Jamaica conquered the world. I'm incredibly proud of it. Tell us a little bit about it. So, as I said, my folks are Jamaican. And the story of the island of Jamaica is, is an incredibly profound one. Uh, it became independent in 1962 f- from the British. And in many ways, what Jamaica has done is absolutely extraordinary. But it's not, it, and it has an empire. So, uh, but it's just not one in the classic sense. It's an economic soft power tiger, the island of Jamaica, arguably. So a diaspora of sorts. Yeah. Um, so um, there are more doctors of Jamaican descent in the city of Miami than there are in the island of Jamaica. <laughs> That's amazing. All right. Um, there are, don't quote me on this when I'm saying it on a podcast, I'm oh. going to say there are more Jamaicans with PhDs and professorships in Toronto than there are in the island of Jamaica. Wow. Don't quote me on that, but it's yeah. going to be kind of, you know, it's notable. The yeah. yeah. Um, the first female vice president of the united states is of jamaica is of jamaican descent mm. it is not but um hip-hop um the, the the single most defining cultural uh genre to come out of the united states it was actually birthed in kingston It was founded in the bronx by a jamaican the way that white working-class londoners speak in the last 15 years is now called jafaken it's utterly marked with Jamaican words. Mm. And that is the same in somewhere like Birmingham as well. So Jamaica has changed the cockney that Americans expect to hear when they go to London. Is not spoken by Londoners. It's actually infused with, with Jamaican words. Um, Jamaica founded a massive offshoot of um, Christianity in the 20th century, Rastafarianism, mm. uh, Black Liberation, um, arguably, you can say that that doesn't start with Marcus Garvey, you know, Frederick Douglass does come before, but Marcus Garvey really uh, sets a template for people like Malcolm X, he's a Jamaican. Usain Bolt was the world's most popular sportsman for just over 10 years. Why? In large part, because he's Jamaican, it was just that broad smile. And that stance American that he did. Yes, it yes. was also because he was not African American, yeah. he was not, right? Um, so, and, and another kind of achievement of the island of Jamaica is that you can, if you look at pop music, popular music, let's call it pop music, popular music, mm-hmm. it's been the one thing which has really defined the global economy since the 1950s, is the fact that um, American rock and roll has gone all throughout the world. If you are to tally... Which countries have had influence on the British, American, Canadian, the world popular music Mm -hmm. charts, United States, number one, number two, be the United Kingdom. Number three, in terms of influence would be the island of Jamaica. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Reggae is the protest music of the world. Mm -hmm. South Africa, Uh, uh, you, 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 you name it. You know, so in many ways, the island of Jamaica has this disproportionate effect on world history since 1945. Mm -hmm. And I grew up not with all of these stories. My dad didn't say Kamala Harris, who one day is going to be the the first female, you know, but, you know, my parents were incredibly proud. You know, this is your heritage, too. So I grew up kind of knowing a lot of this stuff. And 2012. Jamaica was going to be 50 years old, uh, independent from the United Kingdom. And I found myself without a job. And I thought I need to tell this story and I can tell it in a way which is gonna be incredibly authentic to to the world. Because really this is the story of diasporas and it's a story of human civilization, which is migration. Mm-hmm all of human history is about people moving from one part to another, whether you're Jewish, you know, um, you know, whether it's the Exodus to Egypt or to Babylon or under the Romans and whatever, just every people is one. Yeah. The story of France is the story of the Franks, the German people with the Gauls, it's also, and there are all these extraordinary movements which have happened in the modern world. Which have not been documented mm-hmm. and i thought i'm going to do this for the island of jamaica because i'm jamaica jamaica is going to be 50 years old so i put together this thing which isn't just about music i interviewed colin powell uh, who's just passed away because he's of jamaican descent he oh. tells a wonderful story of growing up with his jamaican parents in the bronx and how they infused with him a discipline um i talked to uh, the real, uh, people who did the cool running story, you know, the Jamaican bobsleigh team through to, uh, yeah. um, the commentators, uh, who could talk about Jamaica winning all those golds in the Beijing Olympics. Mm-hmm. You know, this is an Island of less than 3 million people. And it has one of the biggest per, per capita's when it comes to medals in the Olympics. So, right. so
0: you, you've written the book, you've timed it beautifully to come out with the 50th anniversary of independence. Um, what are you, how does that cat, are you hoping that that catalyzes a change in people's thinking or just raises awareness and appreciation of Jamaica? Do you see business leaders thinking that this is a group of people we need to pay more attention to or what, what, what catalyze
1: with this? Okay, it's all the above, but I need to correct a few things. Sure. So I started the podcast in 2012. That's when Jamaica's going to be 50. The book comes out next year uh, from a publisher called Own It, when Jamaica will be 60 for its 60th anniversary, when the book actually comes out. Um, Puma, who sponsored the Jamaican athletics team, wanted to sponsor the island of Jamaica. They seriously thought about it um, 10 plus years ago because they saw it as kind of like the country that every, it's the, it's the best known little country in the world. People are always surprised how small Jamaica actually is. Mm-hmm. That's how large its soft power actually is. Mm-hmm. When you go it's not even three million people go what not even 30 you know Jamaica's tiny and in terms so it has this outsized brand so business leaders are aware of Jamaica to a degree. I think Jamaicans aren't aware how much power, soft power, they wield in the world. They, they aren't, you know. I wonder also
0: if the, um, if the training that came from Commonwealth era, you know, the schools, the civil service, the education, um, trained young people in such a way that colleges, universities, businesses recruit from Jamaica, or has that not been as, as significant as one might think?
1: You know that, that that's a really interesting question. There's no two ways about it, right? That if you're going to be colonially oppressed by anybody, and we're in, you know, the late 20th century, the early 21st century, if you're going to be colonized and oppressed by anybody, best be the British, right? For no other reason than they're going to give you uh, parliamentary democracy, right? Jamaica's had its bumps along the road in its 59 years' worth of history, but there's never been a coup there, mm-hmm. right? there is a parliamentary democracy. It's uh, on the Freedom Index. It's one of the freest countries in the world. And also, it's going to give you the English language, which is the lingua franca of, of, of the world. So are best, if you're going to be oppressed by anybody, let the British oppress you, rape and pillage you for 400 years. Right. It's an odd so, way. I think, yes,
0: I take your point. Yeah. And so but but and other but
1: but, well. but but to your point, though, there is there is something about education and that secondhand once removed British educational system, there is something there. But the patterns of Jamaican migration have actually been quite profound and quite different. So um, when I talked about Toronto and professors and um, and PhDs, Mm -hmm. that's because up until the mid 1960s, Canada would only let in um, people with degrees. Whereas in the U.K. and in the U.S. they didn't. So manual laborers went to the U.K. Mm-hmm. Um, the educated in air quotes went to Toronto. You know, so it, it, it's a kind of complicated question and um, I'm getting deep into the weeds. You best point well, no,
0: Toby. It's, but it's interesting because it's constant, right? Like we can talk a little bit about the rush Generation, which Jamaica was a part of. You've reminded me. So. know, the immigrant population that went to the UK in the 60s and 70s, I believe, um, sort of a it's a constant flow. Now we have literally refugees on the borders crossing the channel coming into the UK. So there's this constant movement of people, as you've said, and the governments that are receiving them have different approaches across time. Right. Sometimes they're more receptive because they need labor. Sometimes they only want, you know, people with degrees. But are you generally optimistic about, say, the UK and how it's, it's processing immigrants today? Or is there a country where you think there's a good receptivity or reception for migrant populations? It's very
1: fraught here in this country, on the southern border. Um, you know, okay, right here and now, if you're looking at, Western countries, because I can speak more confidently about those who have a relatively good record with immigration, uh, whether it's economic or political, Um, you're looking at, there are two countries which stand out, Um, Germany in the last five years, what Angela Merkel did with absorbing one million Syrian refugees Mm -hmm. is just so brave. Mm Right. And so far sighted of the, of the German nation. It's not been without its problems, but to be able to have the political will to do that. The UK, uh, I was going to say the UK couldn't do that. The UK did do it. And that's the reason why we have Brexit. And and here's the thing, you know, as I said, you know, I'm Jamaican parentage, but I'm proud to be English. I'm actually very proud to be English. And some people say that's not politically correct to say that. But I'm, I'm, I'm proud of an England that... In the 19th century, um, when it got rid of the stain of slavery, in the British Empire actually was the freest place in the Western world. If you travel around London, you go like to my old home, home bit of uh, London, uh, Notting Hill, you'll see a blue plaque that says Louis Kassuth lived here or Mahatma Gandhi. And it's because for about 70 years, if you were a freedom fighter you came to london simon bolivia came to london the the jews that were escaping the pogroms of eastern europe came to london they came to england and the and us english have forgotten that they've forgotten how welcoming we were just 100 plus years ago that we were seen as a shining light you you americans think that you invented all of this stuff but you didn't you just borrowed it from us right fundamentally i hear you and britain was this Open place that people who wanted freedom and liberation actually came to, mm. and then after the Second World War, my grandfather and his cohorts literally got off a boat because they loved the idea of being British citizens, so subject sorry of the empire, and they mm. were asked by the government to come and build a new Britain because the Luftwaffe had bombed half of it. And that was incredibly, you can say it was brave, far-sighted, or, or just wrong, depending on you know, where you stand in, in terms of immigration. So we now have some 13% of the UK population, which is non-white. They're not all Windrush generation. Obviously it's their children and their mm-hmm. grandchildren, They're their great-grandchildren now, even, who are as English as Charles Dickens now people that look like me and I think that's bloody wonderful yeah Uh, you know I I really do and it it should be a a source of strength and pride but what happened in the early 2000s is that when um Poland and many other Europe Eastern European countries accessed uh, to the EU there was a backlash Mm -hmm. you know and And I think as human beings, we should understand what history is and that history is fundamentally about. We should understand, we don't have to agree, but we should understand the situation and the confusion that some people find themselves on the ground. Mm -hmm. So within 18 months, 1 million Poles moved to the UK. So every postcode in the UK has somebody of Polish descent living within it. Mm -hmm. I think that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. I do also understand, though I don't agree, that some people saw that as dislocating, mm-hmm. that they literally woke up one day and there were Polish signs above shops on a British High street. and it was literally overnight. Mm-hmm. You know so you know we have to, even those of us who are want to be global citizens who like change, appreciate different cultures, mm-hmm. most people, never move more than five miles from where they were born in their whole lives.
0: I was going to say also people see what they want to see to some degree. As I recall, it's going back a while ago, but a lot of those, uh, for example, those Polish workers were also highly skilled plumbers and carpenters who did work of high caliber for a good wage and were employed by those fellow writs or who might not have, you know, welcomed the Polish signs above the shop, but they welcomed a good laborer who
1: had a good- Well, what, what they welcomed was a cheaper builder or a cheaper plumber, a right. cheaper electrician.
0: Right, so you we know, need to know the true cost of our decisions.
1: But to be... But we have to understand, not only was there a right-wing press campaign that whipped up a certain level of xenophobia and vilification against those people, but if you were um a british builder Mm -hmm. you know born and bred you know um you now found that there was stiff competition and people could undercut you this is the truth in certain Mm -hmm. industries it did have a pressure which was downwards on wages Mm -hmm. you know we we have to admit that you know there's a restructuring of the economy which happened when there's a large influx of people Overnight, we're talking about 18 months and 1 million polls moved to the UK mm-hmm. and the UK government thought uh, that I think they said 15 to 30,000, 1 million came, yeah. you know, so the, 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 our society profoundly changed by that, I would say for the better, but not everyone agreed. Hence, we left the European Union.
0: Yeah, well, I, I do think uh I often think of all these issues and challenges on a spectrum because there's no people, media leaders want to push us to the left or to the right, but really it's a spectrum. It depends on the individual you meet and how he or she affects you, how you interface with him or her um, or they. Uh, so I wonder it, it, when you think about both your podcast work, but your your book, your, your work in general, Roy Field, how do you, what sort of, do you have like cardinal rules or tips you give to business leaders? It could be people in general, but I'm particularly interested in business leaders about how they engage with today's consumers, today's employees, today's investors, because it has
1: evolved. Well, I I think the most successful brands in the world have some level of a social conscience now, Mm -hmm. even if it's just some kind of eco washing, you know, or conscious washing, that they feel that they have to do do this. I, I there's, there's a, there's a brand in, in Britain, Yorkshire Tea, and they came out very strongly for Black Lives Matters, right? And this is, you know, and here's the thing about the global world. I was about to call them the most English of things, tea. And of course that comes from India or China. That's the world that we, that we're in, right? right? But, you know, we've culturally appropriated it, you know, so tea is now our thing. And... And when they came out for Black Lives Matters, um, somebody on Twitter says, that's the last time I'm drinking Yorkshire tea. And somebody from Yorkshire tea on Twitter says, good, we don't want you drinking our tea, right? And here I am a year later, and I'm still remembering that, I still remember that. Now, is that them cynically jumping on a bandwagon? Or is that them really getting behind, uh, you know, uh, a movement, which was not before its time. I don't really care, to be honest with you. Either one can be true. All I know is that the brands that have a conscience are the ones which I want to uh, buy their goods. I want to do business with, you know? Yeah. Um, So it's, it's good business sense, but also it's just good common sense. Yeah. And as
0: I write in The Caring Economy, and as I've talked about with other guests, there's this concept of corporate social responsibility. It is more of a discipline or exercise. It's more like a muscle is what I say. It's, again, that spectrum concept. There's not a point of arrival. You just need to exercise it. So as a corporation, as a brand, the more you think along those, those that spectrum of a, uh, or a lens of corporate social responsibility or sustainability or citizenship, the more likely you and your employees, your shareholders, your customers are to think a little bit more nimbly about the realities of the day we're going through, the news cycle we're going through, the issues of the day, so that... Um, I. This might be a leap, I'll ask you to agree or disagree, but with that sort of multifaceted person that you've described yourself as you know, Jamaican and British and Black, you've always been in a a multifaceted world, so you see things in a multifaceted way, and I think that makes one more primed to deal with the challenges of business or, or life today. Is that a fair assessment or not?
1: Yeah. I was intersectional before it became fashionable. You know, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's the truth of the matter. My you know, folks always says, you're Jamaican, but you're British, you know, there was, you know, and it was there was no conflict between the two. Yeah. You know, there was, was a plus. Venn diagram overlap, you yes. know, but there was say. no conflict. Um, now everybody's a bit of this and a bit of that. And that's a better thing, right? I think so. It gives us a, a wider perspective, of, you know, on the world you know all all companies should have diverse um workforces because it means they're going to be more resilient to the changes in in biz in business trends and stuff because they'll have a wider pool of people to to call upon for their insight and expertise you don't want just white guys toby you don't want just people that look like you you know old white guys you know You know, all the time running everything, you know, because we're all the weaker for it, but we'll have a few old white guys. I mean, not that old, (laughs) right? Few gay guys, few black people, few, mix them all in. You know, they're differently abled, neurologically different, you know, and you have, you'll have software that's going to be written better. Yeah. My brother is in Bali and he went on to the uh, Indonesian equivalent to Tinder. Mm-hmm. uploaded his picture and it said please use a real picture so he, he uploaded another one it came up saying the same thing So then he uploaded a picture of a typical Indonesian looking person. He said, oh, thank you for your profile picture, Kieran Brown. Then he deleted it, put up a a white image. He said, oh, thank you for your profile picture. And, um, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, again today on The Caring
0: Economy, we have Royfield Brown. He is a podcaster extraordinaire. He's a commentator. He's an author and tell us, Royfield, if people want to follow you or get the book, what's the best way to, to find you?
1: I have a website, Royfield.com, R-O-I for India, F-I-E-L-D.com. I'm I'm on Instagram. I post the odd nice picture of my family. Um, If you're on Clubhouse, I'm on there quite a bit. If you go to Royfield.com, my various podcasts are on that. I do a thing called Mid-Atlantic, which is US and UK politics compared and contrast. And I do a thing called Dum-de-Dum, um, which is the reason why we've connected, mm-hmm. which is a, a long-running podcast about a soap opera in the UK, the longest-running soap opera in the world, uh, The Archers, been running since 1951. I do a thing called 10 American Presidents. I'm halfway through part two of the story of Ronald Reagan. I do a thing called Map Corner uh, because uh, I think that the best format for having someone which is quintessentially visual is a podcast. Why not? Mm-hmm. So we talk about um, urbanism, travel and maps. And yeah, so, so, so that's it. Royfield.com uh, It's the uh, jumping off point for all of those things. And the book will be out when? Uh, To get the story of the Jamaicans and Jamaican diaspora out there, yes, it will be available on Amazon. Uh, It's being published by a company called Own It, um, and it will be out by August, August the 2nd, sorry, uh, uh, 2022, because that's the day that Jamaica will be uh, 60 years old. It's not just the story of the island of Jamaica. It's how the influence has gone way and beyond, whether it's in music, religion, religion, politics I say one of the my, my, one of my proudest days of doing that show was to interview General Colin Powell that's the story of the Jamaican diaspora really it's the story of humanity
0: uh, and Roy Field tell us why you, you said uh, you'd sort of joke but we're serious about saying you know telling something visual through a podcast but tell us a little bit about how you or why you have focused on podcasts and why you see it as I do as such an incredibly important part of the
1: growth of social media at least for the next couple of years. There's lots of reasons why podcasting is really important. For me personally, I don't write, but what I can do is talk and I have a confidence talking, so it's an ideal medium for me and for lots of people like me. Be- podcasting is still not even 20 years old. You know, it might actually now be 20 years old, but since the advent of Serial about six years ago, the industry has rapidly started to mature. Whether it's the New York Times or whether it's the BBC, traditional broadcasters have podcasts, not just of programs as they did anyway, but they have made-for podcasts. But there still is enough disruption so that new voices can come through. It's incredibly hard, it's not easy, because those old kind of um, distribution mechanisms and structures are coming into play. But somebody like you, somebody like me, who aren't necessarily traditional media people Mm -hmm. can say something into a microphone and and have an audience. Uh, But what we've got to do though is make sure that voices from significant minorities aren't marginalised, aren't forgotten about and we can lift those up. And and I think that it's important that people like me are in that position to kind of like lift up those those voice tell stories which traditionally have not been uh, told but also then to lift up people as well and their experience and give it to a wider audience
0: yeah that's what I, I try and do with my podcast I joke with people although it's true I think in my four seasons I've had on one hand the number I can count on one hand the number of straight white men I've had on which is not I mean I love straight white men but I also love everyone else you've just described and so to share my platform, I think, is one of the ways I can, you know, catalyze the change we want to see in the world. I mean, as a only gay man, it was—I've done a lot in the LGBT community for decades. But to be honest, the George Floyd murder and Breonna Taylor and all that really hit me hard. And so I've tried with this podcast to stay on it and share uh, not only my views but really what leaders in business are doing to address
1: social justice i knew what well, i was joked before and i says you know old white men like you number one i know you're not old number two <laughs> no. I know you're gay right but you know you're old white man passing potentially do you know what i mean every now and then you get hit in between the eyes we, we listen to the news and things can seem quite abstract you can, can become numb to 27 people dying on a boat trying to get to england you know my parents flew here in the early 1960s. They didn't have to paddle to get here. Right right here and now, if they were come from the island of Jamaica, they would need to paddle or illegally get here somehow. Fundamentally, the news that we served up ultimately kills our spirit because we feel helpless, because it's remittingly bad news, which isn't the news of the world. Fundamentally, good news doesn't sell. If it bleeds, it leads. Mm-hmm. So there's a real argument for saying on a day-to-day basis we should not every day read and watch the news because we get a distorted perspective of what actually what's happening in the world we think you think that murder rape and crime are always on the increase and actually it's not Mm -hmm. we're living through historic lows of all these terrible things it's not to say that they don't happen even though we get numbed to all this bad news something hits us in between the eyes we need to be informed But we need to be still human. We still need to have a connection to the people in these stories. Mm -hmm. But we also need to have a wider perspective and understanding that for all of those murders, those needless racist murders or domestic abuse, these things are mercifully actually on on the decline. Mm -hmm. And we can't forget and lose our our, our human spirit and our, you know, and our connection to each other. And it's a hard balance to strike, but there's so much academic research now talking about our constant diet of news. Now it's killing us. Mm -hmm. We need it to inform us, but it's killing us also.
0: Yeah. It's, it is one of the reasons I also like uh, the podcast format because it's a longer format, right? Like we're having a conversation here today. It's not a quick soundbite or a, a newsflash or a Twitter post and some are, but I mean, I try with this show and I know you do with your work to have really more thoughtful, engaged conversations um, which can allow a little bit more of that humanity. And I think certainly I'm grateful that you, Roy Field had brought it into this call today or this conversation, but I also like your metaphor of a punch between the eyes because wow, we, we we need to stay um, vigilant may not be the word but I think we need to we need to be looking out for others as well as for ourselves. And one way to do that is just taking an interest in other things than just the screen in front of
1: you, right? Well, you know, yeah. which is in, in lots of ways, I think this almost brings us almost in a neat circle back. And you talked about, um, we talked about companies who are you know donning a more so, a CSR kind of you know outlook, or is it just the veneer? Mm-hmm. Right. No, globalism means that we're all interconnected, but politics means that we're all connected, and and it isn't just a case of um, us building walls around ourselves and our families. That how any society works is by us in inhabiting a common space, you know, the commons, it's really important, Mm -hmm. you know, um, where we can actually agree to disagree with people, but just hear a different perspective, Mm -hmm. you know, and it makes us all richer, whether we want to become, I don't know, the next Elon Musk, or whether we want to um, go and help um, disadvantaged communities and, 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 you know, and educate their kids, it's whatever. It's the case of we need to talk to each other because mm-hmm. fundamentally human beings are social animals. When when babies um, are denied touch and speech, they don't thrive and they die before they're two. Yeah,
0: we need to see each other. We need to engage with each other.
1: Absolutely. We're, Absolutely. We're
0: I can't think. We have come full circle. I really appreciate that that concluding thought. Um, I hope you'll come
1: back in the summer when the book is out and talk a little bit about it more with us. You know what I'll, I'll have so many different media engagements Toby but you know what <laughs> I won't forget you I will come on back onto your show.
0: <laughs> thank you I'm going to hold you to that Royfield Brown ladies and gentlemen again today on The Caring Economy it's been a pleasure to have Royfield Brown with us he is a podcaster extraordinaire author commentator and just all around good guy so thank you so much Royfield.